Can you hear me? I can. Can everybody hear me? Can everybody see me? Gilderoy Lockhart. Nobody can see you. Nobody can see me? No. That's probably good. Professor Lockhart. Kether, what's his name? Brannon? Kevin. Kenneth. Kenneth. What did I say? Kenner? Kenner, Kevin. Kenneth, Brahman, Brahman. Brahman, Brahman. Yeah. Good actor. Harry Potter. Does a lot of Shakespeare. Definitely a very much, very much an English traditional actor guy. Uh, what was he? Was also Poirot recently. I'm Brana Brana Kenneth Brana B R A N A G H Hamlet. Also, he's done a Hamlet. Yeah, it's a Hamlet. I think he did a Henry the. Eighth or fifth or something. I think he did. Um, he's Henry the Eighth. He is. He's done a lot with uh, Emma Thompson. Born in Belfast, Ireland, Northern Ireland. That's a distinction that's important to make. Because Northern Ireland is not Ireland. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> that was a nice little tangent to start off with. Yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> Today's Monday, May 15th, 2023. We're the Mind Virus Podcast. I'm Jordan Bruno. He's Jordan Bruno, and I'm Bobby Flood. How was your week? What's been going on? Uh, well, yesterday was Mother's Day, but I didn't know because I opted out of all the Mother's Day promotions Oh, when I was given the, that option. <laughs> on, on your email list? <laughs> How'd you explain that to Mrs. Flood? Uh, she didn't know it was Mother's Day either because we successfully uh, eradicated this harmful, hateful holiday tradition from our existence. Okay. No, we we obviously celebrated Mother's Day in our household. All right. Visit extended family and everything. Yeah, we did some of that. Yeah, with uh, big Utah Mormon families, it's easy to find some sort of a party to go to on a day like yesterday. Yep. Tell you what, it is a beautiful day out today. My goodness, spring has finally arrived. Yeah, there was some good lightning and thunderstorms last night, but today looks really nice out there along the uh, the Wasatch Front. Yeah, when you get these, uh, you know, partly cloudy days with with uh, a little bit of rain in the air to cool it off, that's always nice. Right. Some, sometimes we just skip straight from winter to dry heat. Yeah, we do, like, we, we do that a lot. It seems like this, uh, this uh, spring has been a little bit mild. Still lots of rain, still lots of snow and lots of flooding. And the temperatures look to be on the rise this week. So we may see a, a little uptick in the flooding, which we've talked about before. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But there is definitely flooding occurring out there. Yeah, my understanding is that it's about to get serious to get real yeah like I think we, so. we we uh 
Well, it's going to get hot. Yeah, we haven't seen anything yet. Even though, you know, the snow's kind of melted down here, there's a ton up there in the mountains. There is. Yeah. So I was just uh, browsing the internet here based on our pre-podcast conversation. Turns out it looks like the Deseret News is also a local communist rag. <laughs> um, right. The well, t- they, they've, become, they've just become really alarmist and mainstream. Well, the, the headline article for today is The Conservative Case for Climate Action. Republicans led by Utah Congressman John Curtis want to usher in a new era of climate policy. Is their effort poised to make a difference? Make a difference in what? I don't know. I the climate or what are, policy? What are they, they going to do? I, did you, do you know what Curtis is up to here? Because uh, No, I don't specifically, but I think Curtis is someone that uh, need to be a little bit wary of. If you're a true liberty-loving, traditional, in the, you know the traditional sense of the word, conservative. This is ridiculous <clears throat> reporting. It starts off cheering here for him. John Curtis can hardly believe it. The Republican congressman from Utah knows many in the crowd. Some 2,500 strong, packed into Miami Beach's New World Center in early March, remain apprehensive of his message, of his mere presence. But John Curtis is a politician, and at times even a showman, so he knows exactly what to do. (laughs) Lie to their faces and tell them what they want to hear. (laughs) Can we just enjoy this moment, he asked the audience with a grin. I'm a Republican, and I'm here to talk climate. The audience erupts. It's exactly the reception Curtis hoped to find at this year's Aspen Ideas Climate Conference, where people from across the world have gathered to discuss how to save the planet. So this is interesting. So this, there's a conference in Miami where people from all over the world traveled on airplanes to talk about climate change and saving the planet. I mean, just on its face, like it's farcical. And there's lots of these climate conferences that, that uh, are taking place, and most of them involve not saving the planet, but consolidating power into the hands of very few unelected so-called self-appointed elites who want to rule and reign over us and control everything that we buy, that we sell, that we eat, that we see, that we think, that we say, everywhere we go, who we uh, interact with, how we live. They want to control everything. And that's what climate change uh, is cover for. It's cover for just global dominance. Yeah. Yes, yes, fine listener, you put your tinfoil hat on today. It's not a tinfoil hat. It's pretty clear. I mean, <laughs> right. I you could read the article. They're they're talking about uh, pro pro climate policy, which is just ridiculous. Climate changes naturally. I mean, the 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 way the language has been destroyed here is astounding i you know we, maybe we ought to do the brother of jared prayer and pray that our language uh, does not get corrupted language is being but, corrupted right in front of us we this is a topic that we come back to now and again i mean there are words that just a few years ago meant something that nowadays mean nothing or mean something completely different i mean think about uh the word uh vaccine that used to be a pretty specific thing, whether you were pro or anti or, you know, hesitant about, we're talking pre-COVID vaccines. When someone said vaccine, you knew what that meant. It meant that it was a 
a medicine that was derived from the disease it was supposed to inoculate you against, give you a smaller dosage of it or a benign dosage of it that your that your body could then build up antibodies or immunity to that thing. Like I know I'm simplifying it, but it had a specific connotation, a specific meaning. Now it just means well anything. They, they changed the meaning of the word as fast as they need to, I guess. Listen to this language. Trump's insistence on undermining climate change will continue to handicap the party as long as he remains a force within it, says longtime adversary Senator Mitt Romney of Utah. Okay. So let's try to make this about Trump. President Trump said that climate change was a hoax. That's a quote from Romney. But listen, undermining climate change. That doesn't, that's meaning, that's blather. What What is, that's not even proper use of the language. This, that's the reporter reporting on what Senator Mitt Romney said, but it's probably pretty close to a quote. What, 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 what's so alarming about this, and I don't read the Deseret News very often, but I was uh, looking at it because you mentioned the 60 Minutes segment on the church mm-hmm. as we were chatting. And um, they're speaking essentially as if it's understood that everyone believes the narrative. Well, that's how these guys operate. That's, I mean, the mainstream... We're talking about mainstream press. Mainstream press, politicians, the oligarchy, they, they all act as if what they say is just uh, uh, the default truth, the gospel truth. Who's listening to this stuff? How, who do you know that reads the Deseret News? Probably a lot of people. But who? I, I don't know specifically. Honestly, but I read it because they see it on KSL because they've been to KSL to look for look for a washing machine for sale on used on the classifieds. I mean, what? How are people finding the Deseret News anymore? Do I remember we would get it, you know? Yeah, landing on our door uh, on our driveway. This is my theory on on the local papers, and I I might be really off here, and I'm not going to say this uh, to disparage any individuals because I'm speaking generally, and I don't actually no specific cases of this because I don't read any of this stuff other than occasionally topical things come up for us. <laughs> I wade through a lot of crap for, for, for this podcast. I, I need a, I should get a, uh, someone needs you some, like a gold star. I need a steak dinner, a steak dinner. <laughs> I had steak dinner last night. I cooked, um, a lot of steak for a lot of people last night. How was it? I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah. I had a couple sent back to me to w- cook a little longer. Mm. A couple of them w- were probably a little under underdone, but uh, there were some I said, "No, that was perfect. <laughs> that, that amount of pink is perfect." <laughs> but uh, when you're doing a lot like that, um, sometimes, uh, and they were different cuts of meat, different thicknesses, yeah. so that can be hard to gauge. You can always a whole bunch. You can always cook it more, but you can't cook it less. Right, right. And the key to a great a great steak, and the the number one, you know, there's the seven deadly sins, but there's the eighth deadly sin that no one talks about, and that is overcooking your steak. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, here's my theory on the local newspapers, and this is local to Utah, the Wasatch Front. So. You, you have the Salt Lake Tribune, and the Salt Lake Tribune is for progressives and ex-Mormons and non-Mormons and people who hate good things in the world, right? 
I'm speaking here like stereotypically. This is the kind of the mindset people are in. <laughs> That's the Tribune. Yeah, the ones they, the people that hate the good things in the world. It's it's the people who read if if the people who read the <laughs> Tribune are people who hate goodness. Okay. Right now, if you're a Tribune reader, then the Tribune is a, a bastion of 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 truth and light and and people speaking truth to power and fighting the good fight. Okay, so if you don't read it, that's your perception of yeah, the people yeah. that read the Now, Tribune. the Deseret News, if you're a Deseret News reader, then everything in it is pretty much gospel truth because the church owns the Deseret News, and therefore the truth trickles down through it, and, we, and it's just another outlet for prophetic teaching. Now, of course, for there was a time there. With the what, des- if, what if you don't read the Deseret News? What's your perception of the people that read it? If you don't read the Deseret News, your perception of the people who read it are brainwashed NPCs who let the church and the church apparatuses control your every thought and uh, mm. opinion. Hmm. Now, of course, I'm being, you know, somewhat facetious or stereotypical. And I think there's, there's sort of bit, there's a bit of truth in, in those jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Now, more seriously, I think that, I do think that there's, re, a, for both KSL, which is uh, the local communist rag, and Desert News, which are both owned and operated by the LDS Church, I think there, there is a sense of... <clears throat> trust there that maybe they don't deserve. Maybe these papers no longer deserve. Maybe they did at one point. But because they're owned by the church, people believe that only good, true things are going to be posted there or written there. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not the case. I mean, we saw it with KSL. KSL, a few years ago, went from being a, a local news station that covered local things to kind of reflecting the AP and CNN and Fox News and mm-hmm. the Washington Post, and even like probably 40, 50% of their content is just reposts from these other publications. As if people like want to, you know, e- even like big papers like the Washington Post and the New York Times used to be more local. You'd go there to read about things happening in New York, and then they had things that were of national interest. The Deseret News seems to be going in that direction. They still cover a lot of local things. You know, they cover local high school sports and local yeah. stories, but they're starting to get in on this, on these more larger topics, which is fine, except that a lot of it is just regurgitation of what, whatever the AP or Reuters or whatever is public, publishing. So it's a little, it's staying, it's <clears throat> still got some local flavor, but not... That's what I think. Not much, because they're losing a lot of staff. So, because they can't pay people, because they don't have the circulation they used to have where people would pay for the newspaper. How many people are actually paying attention to the Deseret News? How many people actually load up the website, do you think? I mean, KSL's got the the major advantage of their classified ads. We've talked about that. Right. I don't think the Deseret News gets a ton of traffic. <laughs> Compare it to the Trib. Who, well, the, who's getting the, more? The, the Salt Lake Trib, a few years ago, went through some financial issues, right? They almost collapsed. And and ironically, the Deseret News slash church bailed them out. Didn't they arrange ownership by some sort of a friendly third party that they could control? 
Yeah, well, the Huntsman family owns the Trib now, if I remember right. Yeah, because the idea is you have someone who's ideologically aligned own it rather than you own both of them so that it's not obvious. Right. This is similar to how, like, the during the Mark Hoffman uh, years, the church had, like, a, a friendly businessman buying things up, brokering the deals. Right. To try to get the, the crazy primary source texts off the market. Right. And... I think during that time it was revealed or estimated that the Trib had something like 30,000 paying customers. When? This was probably 10-ish years ago. Oh, okay. 30,000 paying customers. Which in a, in a market of uh, you know a million and a half is pretty bad. Dismal. Pretty dang bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the numbers look like now. They're probably not any better. Um, I know that they've... If you if you go to the Tribune's website, they try to most of their content is behind a paywall, <clears throat> and I'm not going to pay money for anything that they they publish. But um, I'm not going to pay money for the Deseret News either. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying this. I, I I don't really have a horse in that fight. I've read some nice things written in the Trib, like some some interesting articles. I've read I've read some nice things written in the uh, Deseret News. Um, Nice things. What you mean, like like thing, interesting nice, things. nice things they've said about Mitt Romney, or nice no, things? No, they've I mean said just there's been Spencer some Cox. there's been some good articles over the years. Oh, really? Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but <laughs> they were really good. Like there's there's there used to be, and maybe there still are some some reporters out there who are trying to do actual journalism and storytelling, and and not everything. Everything nowadays is so politicized. There's times, there used to be times where you just read a nice newspaper story that was interesting to read. It was a good story mm-hmm. and it was well-written and well-researched. Nowadays, like the writing is really poor. I think a lot of these uh, newspapers employ really young people and oh, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that except that young people don't have experience and they don't necessarily know how to write. Well, they're also fairly well-indoctrinated statists generally. Right. But Especially like, if they're journalism majors. But, but like, I don't know who wrote that climate, uh, religion. Ethan, Ethan Bauer. Is he like, but just the, the writing is just lame. It's like, who could, who could guess that John Curtis would get rousing cheers from the crowd and well, obviously, here's, here's something. Who did you say his name was? Evan? Ethan Bauer Ethan. Ri- writes features, profiles, and explanatory pieces as a staff writer for, the Deseret, for Deseret Magazine. He graduated from the University of Florida's journalism program in 2018 and from the Columbia Journalism School in 2019. Originally from Miami, Florida, Ethan has written for the Miami Herald, the Associated Press, and the Los Angeles Times. So here, here's an idea, Ethan. We maybe, could get somebody from Utah to write for Utah. Maybe the people there t- who, of their own free will, w- who went to see John Curtis were cheering because they share his worldview and values. And so it's not surprising at all that they would cheer for him because they're there to see him. <laughs> hmm. It, it, he tries to paint the picture like he won over this hostile crowd. I don't, I don't not, think that's what yeah. happened. These are religious cultists going to a religious revival, and that's what climate change is in the United States. Yeah. It's a it's a cult religion. It's uh, yeah. Here, let's let's do a quick rundown of some of the headlines here, because you know 
I'm just comparing the Deseret News to the Tribune here. You got top above the fold on Deseret News, the conservative case for climate action. What the 60 Minutes segment on church finances missed, a rags-to-riches history of a faith. (laughs) Why ending the filibuster would be a bad idea. What conservatives can learn from Major League Baseball's pitch clock and grading the jazz. Larry Markinen showed he has star power. Okay, that's just above the fold. Okay. And, and, and by the way, young young bucks out there, above the fold used to be literal. It would be the big stories that you'd want your readers to see above the folded newspaper. So if you were at a newsstand, those newspapers would be folded in a way that you could only see half of the front page. And so above the fold is what was going to get you to buy the paper. Is, yeah, that was where the those were the attention grabbing headlines. So you can't it, fold a website. <laughs> you can scroll it though. Above the scroll. Well, okay, so uh, Tribune. Okay, so we're switching to the uh, supposedly the other ideological side here. Mm-hmm. So what I, I just want to say, the Deseret News. It sounds like it's trying to tell us what to think. You know, what conservatives can learn. Yeah. The conservative case. And this is this is my uh, assertion that KSL, Deseret News, and many of these uh, previously well-established, quote-unquote, traditional Republican or family values, you know, traditional American outlets, where, where most of the readers were, well, I guess we just call them conservative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have, over the last 15 years, slowly and steadily been shifting to a, we're going to tell you how to think, you know, we're going to tell you what to think on all these issues. And I think the headlines belie that, you know, it's telling you you what you can learn. You see that very blatantly a lot of times um, with articles or, or news segments on TV titled things like, uh, you know, pick a topic like a FTX, what you should know, or, or, uh, you know, uh, the Trump indictment. What should you think about it? You know, they just, they're blatant about it. And, and that's what they do. They, there's reporters, I think it might have been Chris Cuomo or somebody in that kind of a, a position, you know, these talk show hosts or news show hosts saying just, we tell you what you, you should think about this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, people just go, uh-huh, uh-huh. What should I think? What should I think? Yeah. So, so I said that wrong. Belie would be to give a, uh, to fail to give a true impression. In this case, they're, they're, they're conveying, these articles are conveying this idea that you need, you have something to learn here. They're going to tell you what to think. They're the experts. They're the experts. And here's what you can learn from, you know, about, uh, how we should act. It's like the, the, the WikiLeaks emails the hillary emails i believe is when again chris cuomo was like it's illegal for you to read them we can read them and we'll tell you what's in them that's our job so here's here's the tribunes um above the fold now remember some of this is similar right whistleblower came off well in 60 minutes report the lds church did not so we there you got damage control over on the des news and uh, here we have an obvious gloves off. Right. Church didn't look too good. Why are some Draper neighborhoods sliding? 
<laughs> well, because they were built on <laughs> on the foundation of sand. Political pundits weigh in on St. George's decision to end public comment at council meetings. Historic LDS Chapel cracked and battered by 2020 earthquake faces a future of rubble. Flood warnings continue in Utah, and it's going to get hot. Bobby flood warnings. <laughs> Utah got a $1 billion pandemic relief bonus to support K-12 kids. Here's where the money is going. So uh, just if you, if you go down the rest of the page here, you get like the jazz, you get more flood warnings, more jazz. Um, so the Tribune here is, is kind of, I'd say that's still pretty local though. Uh, Yeah, they're pretty local. Give them credit for that. Local, not loco. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I mean, people want to know about the jazz. That's fine. You could cover them, although their season's over. Well, like here's another one, the companion poem to Eliza Snow's, Oh My Father that drew an LDS apostles warning. So it's clear that the, that the, um, uh, it's clear that the focus of the Tribune is anti-church, right? It's it's. They usually they usually take an antagonistic role towards the LDS Church. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and then and then you get these uh, Bagley cartoons. What's the guy's name? He's not even worth talking about. It's his cartoons are some of the most ridiculous. They're not look, funny. They're not look, funny. Look, I can appreciate a good political cartoon, even if it if it makes fun of the side or the beliefs that I have. But his are just not. They've never yeah. been. They've never. They're been not good. even. Yeah, they're not even close to funny. They're not. They're not interesting. They don't have really any insight. It's just essentially status Democrat talking points that are ridiculous and. Uh, so he the word i would use is banal right so so lacking in originality as to be obvious and boring that's what a bagley cartoon is so that's the flavor of the tribune and that's the way it's been i think for a long time they've been there's they're remaining true to their character right uh the desert news though is is incredibly um calculated propaganda here that they got uh if you go below the fold you've got a story on the airport seeking $600 million in new bonds. So that's taxpayer money, right? So it's statism. Utah's rapidly growing. How, here's how you can have a f- say in what the future looks like. So this is going to zoning meetings and getting involved mm-hmm. in clamping down on what your neighbors do with their property. Statism. Um, how much Utah spent to plow the state roads during the storms last year. So here's, you need us to plow the roads statism where is Zelensky right now ukrainian president meets with uk prime minister okay here we are pushing the war and this is right on the heels of utah sending a delegation right. out to yeah then, Kiev to then talk we to get Zelensky. to then we get to our first story about spencer the cox governor cox connecting utah so governor cox is connecting utah tour which no one's ever heard of transforms fear into hope for local high school students there's your token. Yeah, I doubt that. I idolize the governor. Uh, I mean, nobody's listening to this crap, right? Who who's even <laughs> who's even heard of this? People quote connecting Utah tour. People, don't you understand <laughs> that this is our rendezvous with destiny? <laughs> 
and then you've got this one. So, so this is the the this the Tribune via propaganda. They have been very effective at modifying Utah's culture over the last mm. twenty years. That's what I'm trying to say right now. They've been very effective, and this is clearly the the Deseret News is very clearly trying to bring that LDS. Um, traditional conservative, you know, might have been influenced somehow by Ezra Taft Benson <laughs> right. in their family line uh, over to the statist side. And then you get this silly article here. What this Latter-day Saint rodeo barrel racer learned from the, quote, strong woman in her family, the strong <laughs> women in her family. Um, <laughs> what she probably is learned how to barrel race. <laughs> What is this? We have strong rodeo women in our blood here because we need to be worried about that because their women weren't strong before the rodeo. I don't know what the deal is here. Yeah, it's this weird feminism thing. You got a Israel, Gaza. Uh, you got a couple of U- University of Utah football, BYU golfing, um, motherhood through the eyes of four gener- I guess it is Mother's Day. Okay, we got to give them credit there. Do you know who was quoted recently by the Desert News? Uh, Mitt Romney. Yes. Spencer, Spencer do you know the Cox. Who else? Do you know who else? Spencer the Cox. John Curtis? Yours truly. Bobby the Flood. Yeah. Tell me about this. <clears throat> no, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. I also was published by the Salt Lake Tribune several years ago in a letter to the editor. Really? Yeah. You, can, you, you dear readers can go on there and search for Bobby Flood and see what turns up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious. Are you, is that all you're going to say? That's all I'll say on, on the recording. Okay. Well, anyway, what do you think about the... Uh, tell me your thoughts on the 60 Minutes... You watched well, it. I, I didn't I, watch I, it. I it's, heard it's very short. I got one text from a friend. He said that the IRS is afraid of the church. Isn't that the most telling thing that you got? He got that's the most telling thing he got out of the. Yeah, there's an interesting segment. remark where um, a gentleman and I zoned out or blipped out and missed who he was, but he's kind of an expert on IRS. And, and maybe he works for the IRS or he's just an expert on that. But he says that. Uh, for the IRS to pursue the case that David Nielsen is bringing is very politically risky, is what he says. Nielsen is the whistleblower. He's the whistleblower. He's the former Ensign Peak Advisors employee. Um, he made, you know, I think it's interesting. He he never intended for any of this to go public. It was his brother, I believe his name is Lars, leaked all this to the Washington Post. And I think, I don't want to speculate, but I think I had read or heard that it's caused a little bit of a rift there in the family. But Well, he's going to get a payout now of, uh, what, 10 to 30% of $5 million? He might be uh, eligible for that on the SEC thing. But this, uh, this 60 Minutes segment is only about 15 minutes. They have David Nielsen. They have a representative from the church named uh, Waddell, Waddell, one of the... Um, I think he might be in the presiding bishopric. And then they had this other like IRS tax type guy. And again, pretty short. If you followed the story of all this, there's not a whole lot that's new. I think he's the first counselor. What Christopher Waddell. Right. Or Waddle. 
but it's, it's kind of just in another interesting little development in all of this that it's uh, you know six, I don't know if sixty minutes commands much of an audience, um, but it is a national publication or a, a broadcast and. You know, people are, it's sort of like the Trib versus the Deseret News. Uh, people are going to see what they want to see based on the, the outcome that they want or who they think is right or wrong in this whole saga. And I'm kind of just sitting back going, I don't really care about the whistleblower and his motivations. I don't really care about the spin that maybe the church puts on it. I just want to know the truth. What's the truth in all of this? and um, what can we do? What do we do about it? If, if what David Nielsen is alleging is true, I think that's a, something that needs to be dealt with. Well, w- one thing that came out, if I heard you right or friends correctly commenting on this, is that the church hasn't denied any of this. Yeah, they kind of just put a spin on it. Like, oh, yeah, we have lots of money. And the, the, the reporter even asks uh, Bishop Waddell, you know, how, how much money do you have? And he kind of smiles and says, we have significant means. I thought he was going to say <laughs> sufficient for our Sufficient needs. for our needs. <laughs> but uh, he says, we, you know, basically said we have a lot of money. She says, well, there's been estimates of $150 billion. Are we in the ballpark? And he just smiles again and says, I can't say, but we have significant resources. That's because that's a low number, isn't it? Who knows, right? Like... It's all estimated. And, and she says, do you understand that like, the secrecy can lead to a lack of trust even among the members of the church? And he says, it's not secret, it's confidential. <laughs> and she says, what's the difference? And he, he is stumped. He kind of goes, uh, uh, it's a matter of perspective. So... Um, it. I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> not, about you think about it's the, not secret; it's confidential, right? And again, it's like, but we're the people. We meaning the members of the church who pay tithing. We're the people who who fund all of that. And I think it's reasonable to want more transparency in how the tithing dollars are being spent and what, they, what they're going to. I think it was a big shock for a lot of people in 2019 when the Nielsen documents, we'll call them, went public that, that the church had so much invested in the stock market and in, in what is, you know, people didn't know about Ensign Peak. It, was, it wasn't public knowledge that this firm even existed. You know, the, the office building, that, you know, they're located in the City Creek Mall. Uh, it's an un- unmarked offices. The people who work there sign NDAs. Um, it was very, they, they've gone to, we've since learned that they go to a lot of effort to keep it secret. Mm-hmm. Keep it secret. Keep it hidden. Keep it safe. Is it secret? Is it safe? It's safe and effective. That's the uh, ring of power, of course, that right. we are alluding to. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Um. And so I think, I, I remember for me, I would just was like, oh, wow. Like, we had all kind of known the church had money. That's obvious from the buildings and the, kind of the vast worldwide network of temples and church houses and the, the, the resources available to it through, you know, uh, 
different land and things that they own, but I don't think a lot of people had any idea that this all their stuff existed until that came to light. And it raises a lot of questions. And so people are starting to ask those questions. And how you answer those depends on if you're a Desert News guy or a Salt Lake Tribune guy, kind of. Yeah. Well, what, what was your impression overall? You watched the 12 to 15 minute segment, right? Which was not all of 60 minutes, by the way. 60 minutes runs for 60 minutes with commercials or without? I mean, it's... Yeah. I, they they got to cut like... Yeah. I watched it online. Is it four segments of 12 and then the so rest is commercials? I, what I watched was the commercial free version on online. On the, I think the sixty minutes website, uh, and there so was a couple of. you didn't have to watch all sixty minutes to get right. this twelve minutes. And there was a couple bonus sections where they had a little bit longer uh, answers to some of the questions they asked, which I found. Which useful. weren't aired on the television. I, I, I don't think so. But well, what, okay, so what's your overall impression? I, here? I mean, like, it was it wasn't really a, anything new. If you've been following the story, it wasn't really anything new. It was just this is the first time that. David Nielsen has spoken publicly on the issue. Okay. Previously, his brother had been taking a lot of the spotlight and the publicity, and I, I don't think that was ever his intention. David's intention. But um, his case is kind of just David's is kind of this needs to be talked about. It's a big deal. He he talks about how he he left Wall Street to work for EPA. That's Ensign Peak Advisors, and basically did it because the church asked him to, and he thought it would be great to be involved in a charity, a charitable organization that was doing good in the world, and quickly found out that that really wasn't the case, that it was a lot of this money was just coming in and not really going out. These, this is his perspective. These are the things he says. I'm not necessarily... Yeah. By the way, it appears to me endorsing that, that it appears to me that KSL has moved on. There is no, if you look at the local communist outlet here, there is no mention of this sixty minutes thing. I think that again, it, it's people are going to see what they want to see in this. So, so you have the Tribune saying the church didn't come across, come out very good in this, and you have the Desert News saying what sixty minutes got wrong or what they missed, and a little bit of. Uh, smoke on Twitter was just kind of the same thing. It's like people are see, or people will see what they want to see based on kind of what their preconceived notions are or their whatever biases they bring to the table. And I'm trying to step out of that and just say, you know, motivations or whatever aside, what's What's accurate? What's true here? And what can we do, if anything, about it? Or what should we do? But it's interesting that going back to this comment that it's very politically charged to pursue this is an interesting thing that sort of got on, kind of, kind of just floated on by. I wish that reporter would have said, what do you mean by that? What, what's the political risk in investigating this uh, this matter. Yeah, that's one of the big <clears throat> reveals that comes from this is that there's a huge political risk to investigating the church. Yeah, apparently. And so we're talking about the IRS here. Like they're sort of politically immune because they're just a juggernaut 
I don't think, and, and a lot of people are saying, it's fine, this is fine, we want the, the church to stick it to the evil IRS and the government, and I kind of sympathize with that, except that this is all done under the presumption that this is sacred money and it's managed by people who are inspired of God to do well, the, what they're doing. I think there's, there's three things here that I'm, I'm seeing, three big issues. Number one, this was approved of by, senior, quote, senior leadership. Number two, they claim that they're only doing what their attorneys told them to do, but it's, they've knowingly hi- hidden as much as possible from the public. That's the whole point right here. Right. So it's very clear that they've knowingly done it, and they're and they're not disputing that they've knowingly engaged in this activity, and it went all the way to the top. So those are my first two points, mm-hmm. and the point and the the they knowingly engaged in act, the activity, the purpose of which was to hide from us all of this stuff. Right. And then the third point is that perhaps this is the most salient point. I I don't know, but. If the IRS or whoever, if if it's politically risky or the IRS is afraid of them, that means they're so linked into the current regime that investigating them would be detrimental to people's careers. So they they can pull the behind the the uh, scenes strings, operate the levers. That means they're tied into the system. Which, if you've been listening at all <laughs> to the Mind Virus show over the last couple of years, you could. I'm not going to speak for Bobby Flood. I only speak for Bobby Flood when I'm speaking for Bobby Flood, <laughs> but I won't speak for him right now. I'll speak for myself. And that is that my opinion clearly has been articulated on the show that the state is the problem. Right. Which, I mean, to just say this bluntly, this just a, appears to be further confirmation that the church and the state are not separate. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's certainly implied in, in these remarks that it would be politically risky to investigate this matter. The guy does acknowledge, however, to not investigate it undermines the rule of law. So, again, uh, uh, you kind of have this one camp that says, like, yeah, stick it to the man church, get a trillion dollars and stick it to the man. And then the other side saying, you know, uh, the church needs to lose its tax exempt status, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe the, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, but I think your points are correct that the church did this deliberately to hide its wealth from us, they blatantly say that they well, say it's confidential. A, they're getting a free pass from the government. That's the <clears throat> right. thing. The, the The government doesn't give free passes to the Iraqis or the Iranians or small countries around you know right. around the globe in third world places. They they don't they don't give passes to people. They didn't give passes to uh, the people the the religious community at Waco, Texas. They didn't give a pass right. to them. You know, I think I think a big issue here that maybe needs to be addressed too is because again I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of uh, uh, both sides of this discussion over the last 
year or so, or even longer, because this really started in 2019, if my memory's correct. But a lot of people say th- something like, this is how all big companies operate and big corporations. They, they, they try to do as much as they can to uh, limit losses due to taxation or, or use you know, uh, tricky accounting loopholes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, but isn't the church supposed to be different than Apple or Microsoft or Well, Apple doesn't Pfizer. set up a series of shell companies to avoid reporting so that their, that their um, gains are non-public. They make sure that everyone knows how much they're making because it increases their stock price. Right. So it's not the same thing, Mr. Flood, and your friends on the internet. That is absolutely <laughs> not, not what's going on It's here. not my argument. <laughs> I'm sharing what's out there to try to justify this. And my counter to that is, yes, like what you're saying, but also the church operates under the assumption that tithing is sacred. That is a saving gesture that our salvation is dependent on paying 10 percent yeah paying tithing right there's the old joke that it's fire insurance right so i I don't know if that's considered a joke i mean literally we've seen we've seen recent conference talks telling people to pay tithing before they pay their rent right before they pay for their food before they you know right and this is this is a difficult thing because you've got a lot of very very poor people that participate in the church right so the assumption is Tithing is a sacred thing, and that the donations made are sacred. There's a, every finance secretary or a, a clerk in the church has to go through a training called Sacred Funds, Sacred Responsibility. I know this firsthand. And I, I'm I'm, I want to be clear, I'm not saying this money isn't sacred, okay? These are donations often given by people who can't afford to make them. I'm still going to get into trouble for this. But Finish your thought. What I'm saying is we're operating under these assumptions, right? Under yeah. these, under these, uh, this premise. And that that money is then treated as sacred all the way up to wherever it goes. And that it's poured back into helping members of the church, helping the operations of the church, helping. That's the assumption. Helping build the kingdom. That's what. Bishop Waddell says, he says, it's, it's for the okay. second coming. It's for a rainy day. It's for building the kingdom. Because you, you want to know what's really on my mind, Bobby Flood? <laughs> Go ahead. I've been binge watching. This is admission to the Mind Virus listeners. I've been binge watching Better Call Saul mm-hmm. and now Breaking Bad mm-hmm. since I didn't ever watch Breaking Bad. Did you ever watch Breaking Bad? I binged like the first three seasons and I felt so terrible about life it that I ended up, bad. I ended up like, pulling away and I never finished it although I've heard the ending is spectacular. I I was just wandered in past my daughter who was watching Better Call Saul a couple of times and it was just really funny. It was really pretty well well they're really done. Ni- they're really good shows. They're and really so well I, done. Did you ever watch any of Better Call Saul? I didn't. But I met Saul Goodman in in Breaking in real Bad. In real life? No, in Breaking <laughs> Bad. So I'm aware of the character. Okay. He's a great character. Well, his his origin story is just great. He it's just really good but so since i never watched breaking bad i got towards the end of the series of better call saul and i i realized you know i could watch this in chronological order so i found some website that indicated how how to watch it if you want to watch it in chronological order so i got to the 
I'm, I'm right at the end of Better Call Saul. There's like three or four episodes left in the last season. And now if I'm going to watch this in order and not spoil anything, I got to watch Breaking Bad and then I can watch the last few episodes. So and there's a movie called El Camino, I guess, that you've got to throw in there <laughs> at a certain point. So I have a lot of homework ahead of me. Just this is why I hate watching TV series because I want to know the whole story, but I want to know it now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they right. are so good in these TV series at just dragging it out. And, they're, and they really do pretty good with the drama too. But uh, anyway... There's a point to all of this. And as we're discussing the Enzyme Peak Advisors thing, I am just unable to get the cartel off of my mind. <laughs> because the way it works is you got these little guys. Mm-hmm. Skinny Pete <laughs> is one of the dudes. Badger is one of the dudes. These are the drug de- low-level drug dealers, mm-hmm. right? And they make... They sell $2,500 of meth and they get to keep 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the guy's name? Yeah. Uh, you got, you've got Walter and uh, I can't even remember his name right now. This is the worst. Walter's partner? Walter's partner. Um, the dude, yeah. The okay. the guy that's doing the selling. Walter's doing the cooking. Yeah. And then Jesse, Jesse. Jesse. I wanted to say Jimmy, but that's Jimmy McGill, who is, ends up being better call Saul. Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman. Um, yeah, you've got uh, Jesse, and uh, he's the... kind of the the he's he's turned out to be I haven't seen the whole thing. He's turned out to be kind of the drug lord here. Mm-hmm. There there ends up a little bit of a cartel vacuum. But uh what was my point? <laughs> my point was that um you have the little guys yeah, the the little guys are are um making you know 20% and Jesse has them convinced that they just need to turn it, you know, sell more, and then they they're going to make it up in volume, which they will. It appears they're they're doing it because they've got the best product. Mm-hmm. But the money goes to the top, and uh, in the I, ha- I haven't watched like Narcos or some of these other. Um, Those are really good series. Yeah, but I. I you know, if you've watched any material on the cartel, which I'm assuming it's pretty accurate, which is maybe a, a bad assumption, but the way these operations work, and this is also the way that the federal government seems to work, is that they aggregate all the money. Mm-hmm. The little guy pays in a little bit, and the little managers and the little sales guys, they make a, a fairly modest mm-hmm. relatively speaking relatively speaking it's you know to to the people they're dealing to it seems like that's an exorbitant amount of money like if they could keep 500 bucks off of an ounce of meth the little guy would think that's a lot of money but when it gets aggregated up to the top it's 150 billion dollars possibly a trillion dollars that you know we consider the matter closed right i mean right it's <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's, it's ugly the sausage making there is pretty bad and it kind of finished where where i was going with 
with that with this idea, and I think it ties into what you're saying is there's all of these assumptions involved that the 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 money is sacred and it's treated that way and goes back into the general fund church related activities and so we all can be confident that it's there's there it's ethical well that's the idea but that's clearly not what's happened right and that's what i'm getting at is we is that to the, the tune of massive like cartel style money that would make the cartel blush right and I think that's been the biggest eye-opener here is that it, it's this assumption that we've operated under for decades isn't accurate, that the, the monies aren't being treated sa- uh, sacredly. And, and David Nielsen's assertion is that it's not even being used for church-related activities or charitable activities, but going into for-profit ventures like bailing out the insurance company which is a for-profit company that the church owns beneficial life or going into these stocks i mean the 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 trib speaking of the tribune they a couple of years ago they published a uh, um a disclosure cuz the the church was kind of forced to release a, a disclosure of their stock holdings this is something that again was confidential beforehand and they sort of were strong armed into into releasing this. So mm-hmm. and, and you can still find that out there if you if you search for it and it's it, I'm sure it's changed somewhat because it's been a couple of years. But you can see like that the church held a massive portfolio with uh every company you can think of. All of the big pandemic players, right? Pfizer, J and J, AstraZeneca. Uh, AstraZeneca Moderna was in there. Hospital uh, chains. Abbott Labs. They they created the test, the big popular test. But then you have like Microsoft, Google, Facebook. Uh, you have um, uh, just uh, all of the big kind of blue chip stock companies. They have, and, the, and they've even got stock in like local companies. There's one, and I won't I won't mention names, but there's one local company that they had several million dollars of stock on stock in and the one of the top brass at that company was also a general officer mm. in the church which i mm. found curious mm. and maybe a little bit of a conflict of interest mm. so stuff like that is eye opening cuz you 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 operate under the assumption that every penny i give is going to buy a book of mormon or uh, build a church or a temple or help a missionary who can't afford to pay for his mission, or uh, buy food for people who don't have it. And yeah, some of the money goes to that. Yeah, I as much up. as as much as one percent of the church's total wealth goes to charitable activities. As much as is that what they said? <laughs> up to and possibly well, including. They've said that they've said they've spent what uh, like. I can't remember the exact number now, 100 million or something on charity, which sounds amazing until you realize how much is actually available. Yeah. And now I got to throw in a little note here because uh, when they're invested in these uh, pandemic related industries, just ch- check out the website at mindvirus.show. I'm going to put a link to uh, open the books Substack. 
headline, top U.S. non, quote, nonprofit hospitals. And remember, the church is a nonprofit. Top U.S., quote, nonprofit hospitals and CEOs racked up huge pandemic pro- profits. Absolutely. They're talking about a cumulative $324 billion in 2021 up, you know, in net. It's worth noting that the, net the, assets. the local hospital cartel, IHC, is a nonprofit. Keep that in mind next right. time you pay your bill for a, a, a visit there. Right. But th- that was a little misleading what I said. So their net assets went, went up uh, to $324 billion from two hundred point six a couple of years prior to the pandemic. So right. it's, it's like a, you can see a potential increase in $150 billion or $125 billion right there just over the uh, the 20 largest nonprofit hospitals in the country was w- what they were doing. So that's not the whole industry. Right. Just to be precise. But still, uh, a lot of the cartel-esque industries did very well during the but, but pandemic. But this, this goes back to the whole, why would the IRS be afraid of, or why would it be politically inexpedient to bug the church? And yeah. it, what it looks like is that Maybe it was uh, Nielsen's brother is the only real reason why this ever came to fruition and why it's been handled the way it's been handled. Because if that guy hadn't gone public, maybe they didn't need need to quote do anything about it. Because the, the the five million dollars is just a that I mean they pay that much out to families after many years settling these sex abuse cases. Well, they paid the boy the they were. They paid in the Boy Scout case like two hundred and fifty million. The church did. Yeah. There's so much of it; it's hard to keep track of. You know, you want to. Yeah, and so I. You want to make a list of it. I think, like, and I know people are gonna are gonna listen to this and say they're gonna get uncomfortable, and and I I think maybe I think we've lost most of the uncomfortable listeners. Now we're just preaching to the choir. If you're uncomfortable, I think it's worth it. Asking yourself, why? What makes you uncomfortable about this? Is it because we're talking about it? Or is it because it exists? And maybe your your discomfort has to do with uh, making reconciliation with this and, and, and figuring out what it means. And I know different people are going to react differently. But the fact is, this these practices are happening. They exist. The SEC cease and desist makes it very clear that these things aren't just mistakes, accounting mistakes. They're deliberate. Um, the The effort to hide and mislead wealth from the church members has been deliberate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we all have to reconcile and figure out. And, and this seems like the me- <clears throat> it seems like the messaging is, well, yeah, we do that. Now we're going to change our practices and make it public. But as, they're not. As quietly as possible. They're not making it public. They've, they reiterated that last night. Well, don't they have to follow the reporting requirements now? Uh, they're not going to publicize, but they're not. They have to at least. Yep. Yeah, yeah that, but that doesn't mean it's going to be like public available to us real easily. Yeah, not. They'll they'll file the the filings in some obscure, um, podcast like the Mind Virus Show or Open the Books or whatever. They'll publish that, but nobody right. will pick up on it. This will be the last you'll hear about it on. The Deseret News. There is a, a website, I think, called Widow's Might, which tries to analyze church finances. Yeah, but nobody knows about that. R- right. Well, this is not something... I mean, think about it. Like This, this we, is only we, public... We, this is only making news because there was a fine paid 
and there was a whistleblower that made it to what, what news outlet was it that 60 minutes no but is, before that his brother uh, leaked it to washington where? post washington post put out an article right and there's and, and, but for example the the lo, the recent sec cease and desist right i heard i've heard nothing about that organically through the grapevine, you know, at church or in the neighborhood or whatever. People, well, it's not allowed to be talked about. People aren't church. talking about that. And I don't know that anybody's going to be even knows about CBS, you know. The timing isn't great for uh, if, if it's something you wanted to actually be seen, right? On Mo- Mother's Day afternoon, on a Sunday, mm-hmm. people in Utah aren't going to watch that. No. And, no, that's and, per- that's the perfect time to release it in Utah. Right, that's what I'm saying. Why if do you, you think 60 Minutes did that? You don't want anybody article? to see well, it. Well, that's how powerful the church is. Why did it end up on 60 Minutes to yesterday? Right. And again, the, it wasn't like it was some bombshell thing. If you've been following this story, you didn't really learn anything new. They didn't even talk about the documentation that Nielsen has. Yeah, so the way the way this works is that the wealth of the Mormons is sort of a a titillating <laughs> interesting uh intriguing subject for people outside of Utah, right? This is this when it hit the Washington Post back in the day, it was because they thought it was newsworthy to their people, right? But it didn't it, it only made ripples over here in Utah and it was very well managed and hey don't don't worry about don't look over there you don't need to worry about that and and here we see that same thing happening of course unless you're one of the 30,000 tribune subscribers well even back in i i think i was on my mission in the mid 90s when time magazine did a big story mormons inc is Mormon, that the one mormons inc which explored the idea yeah. that the church has a lot of wealth and yeah for the last <clears throat> 20 30 years that's been a subject that intrigues the rest of the country and that was right about the time that EPA was organized, it was created. I think EPA was created in 98 or 99 to start managing and growing this wealth. Secretly, confidentially. Confidentially. Yeah. And again, like, I, I, there's, I've seen, again, I've seen reactions where it's like, this is great that the church has money, and I can understand that. Where I start to scratch my head is, but why don't we know about it? We're the people who make it possible. What is what is tithing for anyway? Like what what what's our rationale? I know our rationale is that it's for the the temples. Well, and that see and that's a that's a really fundamental question that we haven't addressed. I've seen it addressed elsewhere in some thoughtful ways, but what is the fundamental scriptural reason for tithing? Why does the idea exist at all? And I think that's an important conversation and maybe we can have today maybe we can do that another time maybe we can do it both ways but well do you want if you want the scriptural basis i'll tell you okay this is doctrine and covenant section 119 <clears throat> and it says uh, verily thus saith the lord i require all their surplus property to be put into the hands of the bishop of my church in zion okay, okay? and there's a lot of context surrounding this but this is what's this is what's brought up um and then, of course, we have the will a man rob God <laughs> discussion, and we have Lorenzo Snow's uh, uh, prophetic utterance that he would that every man, woman, and child pay a full tithe, you know, 
where there was the three yeah, wo- the but three words that they were eliminated cut out. a really important part who of has quote. means who yeah, has they, means they put an ellipsis in there they put three dots instead of three words um, and the will of man rob God my understanding that's the Amos that is uh, Malachi or Malachi right and my understanding is that. That particular context was talking about the priests, but I I don't I don't know I where you got that crazy idea. I, I don't because I don't, that's kept under wraps. But that's exactly what I was going to say. Right, and I'm not an Old Testament expert by any means, but it was the the priests at the time who were required to offer tithing. That was the whole point. Is he, they say bring the tithes unto the storehouse, and they're not a tithe until they're given to the priest. And so the priests weren't using the tithes appropriately. So then the Lord says to the priests, "Will a man rob God? No, you've robbed me and this whole nation." It wasn't. He wasn't talking right. to the nation. He's talking to the priests for robbing the nation. Right. The nation was donating. Take all the take all the chapter breaks out of the book of Malachi and read it all together as if it were a letter. And so the priests were, priest. were using the tithes to. Invest in Pfizer? Well, mostly the military-industrial complex, oh. but um, <laughs> the military-medical-media- You mean like Raytheon? Com- possibly. Boeing? Possibly. Pfizer, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Zion's Bank, possibly. The, 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 the silver lining here is that the church is going to backstop Zion's Bank when it falls- from grace in the stock market it's it's down to 23 it's less about half its value in the last at least yeah. uh, relative to stock value right right okay sorry i digress dnc 119 is the modern basis for the the law of tithing okay um so there's a lot of context surrounding this but um it when they say my church in zion there's another evidence that the church in missouri was called the church in zion and that was another name for the church. We've gotten into the name mm-hmm. of the church issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's section 115, right? Um, where yeah, the Lord names his church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is what it says in the summary at the top of the chapter, but it doesn't tell you that he also named the church in Zion. <laughs> um, anyway. So I require all their surplus property to be put into the hands of the bishop of my church in Zion for the building of mine house and for the laying of the foundation of Zion and for the priesthood and for the debts of the presidency of my church. And this shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people. And after that, those who have been thus tithed shall pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, and this shall be a standing law unto them forever. For my holy priesthood, saith the Lord." Verily I say unto you, it shall come to pass that all those who gather unto the land of Zion shall be tithed of their surplus properties and shall observe this law, or they shall not be found worthy to abide among you. And I say unto you, if my people observe not this law to keep it holy, and by this law sanctify the land of Zion unto me, that my statutes and my judgments may be kept thereon, that it may be most holy. Behold, verily I say unto you, it shall not be a land of Zion unto you. And this shall be an ensample unto all the stakes of Zion, even so... Amen. That's the totality of Doctrine and Covenants section 119. So, number one, you can see that it's talking about surplus property and interest. Right. And that it's for the building of mine house, singular, for the laying of the foundation of Zion, which is a very ambiguous statement, and for the priesthood and for the debts of 
of the presidency of my church. So the idea that it's for the priesthood would go back to the old Levitical law, the idea that the priests receive their sustenance from the people in that way. And uh, the debts of the presidency of the church, Joseph and Sidney had racked up some debts, and uh, they were in debt, so they needed mm-hmm. to pay that off. So those, <clears throat> that's the basis of tithing in the LDS church right there. So what is the foundation of Zion? Well, that's where that that like you said, that's kind of ambiguous, and I think I think it's important to talk about what is what is considered surplus and interest too. Yeah, because uh, let's just talk about the reasons for it though first, because building a mine house, you know, many. When was this uh, revelation given? Eighteen thirty-eight, July in Missouri, in Far West. So it's for building of mine house, which is the temple. Yeah. Which didn't get built. Well, they built the Kirtland Temple and they had to leave, right? So they lost their temple. Right. So they go out to Missouri and they're like, we're going to build it here. But then they got chased out of Missouri, so they built it in Nauvoo. Right. And and we have this sort of uh, expectation that, no, you're supposed to have a temple nearby you, so we need lots of temples, so we need lots of money. But... Traditionally, in um, <laughs> and there's a whole lot to be said about the work for the dead, the repetitive work for the dead, um, genealogy, and where that came from here. Wilford Woodruff's changes to the idea in 1894, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a whole this this is loaded up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These statements are loaded up with a lot of context that we're not going to give right now to the listeners, although I know a lot of our listeners know a lot about, about this already. But traditionally in most religions, you'll have a sacred center and people make a pilgrimage. Right. Like a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. Right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you if you modify the, the expectations to that people need to go there regularly rather than to study and prepare and sacrifice to go to say like Mecca mm-hmm. or Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which is the extent of the Crusades, you know, to, to make the routes safe for the pilgrims on the route to the Holy Land. Um, By the way, we did a whole episode on pilgrimage in January. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the episode number, but you could we search a lot for about that. This we, have idea. A, we have a pretty good search <clears throat> on the website. This the website search works pretty good. If you go mm-hmm. to mindvirus.show and you want to find any content we might have previously talked about. But, you know, this the expectation was we were going to build a temple. And then there have been multiple temples built because of the migration of the early members. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, that's, that's a good question. How many, how many um, temples do we really need? And... When you talk about the priesthood, that's that's another ambiguous statement, but there's uh, the implication here that maybe our bishops should be paid, you know, out of the tithing fund, or maybe a, a or, local or congregation maybe the, would. Maybe the bishop, maybe the bishop isn't the guy who also has another job, but his full time work is meaning he's dedicated his life to that. Yeah, I'm. I'm just speculating here on what that could also mean, and and 
Well, that's what's happened in throughout history, and I'm not saying it's right. It's just that, like you see, <clears throat> most other faiths they have a, pay, a paid clergy. Well, and and at that time in American history, in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, you had traveling ministers mm-hmm. who would rely on the locals for housing and meals. They would they would show up in town and and uh, preach and and. Hopefully, people were charitable and right. Well, it's never helped, helped them eat and sleep and and have clothing and the, the things they needed. Mm-hmm. And when you have a more charismatic, spirit-filled um, culture, uh, religious culture, those guys don't seem to be making a ton of money. It's only when you get the organization rolling and and the and the money centralized with like with the Jews or uh, at the time of Christ or like the Catholic Church when it got rolling and the Mormon Church now, you know, once the money gets centralized, then that paid clergy right. looks looks pretty good. Well, and there's this idea that maybe if you de- mega church. If, if you dedicate your life to preaching the gospel, that you are are giving up the 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 possibility of becoming a wealthy person, and then that you live kind of day to day. Um. We got, we've got an example, though, in King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon where he says, look, I labored with my own hands. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't tax you guys. Right. But so maybe he, uh, Paul, his, he was a tent maker, mm-hmm. or his father was a tent maker, and he was also involved in that. You know, these, we, we do have examples of guys that actually did work. Right. The Lord himself, right? A carpenter. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, they kind of held their own when they could, and and then they got help, or at least going back to kind of the American tradition, these these preachers would be helped along. There's a, you know, I've referred to this this book series a few times, the the Big Sky trilogy by uh, Guthrie, and uh, in one of them, I think it's the second book that is uh, the first book kind of deals with a, a character that goes west and becomes a mountain man. Right, he leaves uh, Tennessee, I think. The second book is uh, a wagon train going to Oregon, and uh, a preacher joins the the train, uh, kind of with a split vote. People are like, "I don't want no religion on this trip. We don't need that. He's just another mouth to feed. He can't do anything." And uh-huh. he ends up coming along, and and uh, you know, it's a character on the on the on the in the story, but he does have to kind of be taken care of. He's not a great hunter or horseman, but anyway, it's this whole idea of that traveling preacher that is sustained by the people that value that and who he preaches to. And then he, you know, and he moves on from town to town. I think, I'm not saying that that should exist today. It certainly could when you think about the internet and there are plenty of people online, kind of YouTube preachers who I, some of them I find really interesting. You have this in and out of the LDS church. Um, and they are sustained by their audiences, right? Through YouTube subscriptions, through Patreon, and things like that. Sort of the modern day version. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't remember what that has to do with the larger well, we're, we're topic. Just kinda, but, we're just like, like, because I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's bad what the church does that we should switch to somebody else's model and pay all of our bishops, but we we also have sort of a disposable leadership type of a cyclical model, right? We'll, we'll use people up, and, and well, so, then that sometimes they, they really take to it, and then they end up being your stake president or in your area authority, authority group or whatever. 
M- money and religion is always a prickly topic. Right. Does it have to be done that way? I mean, the, the general consensus of the active members is, well, that's the way the, the prophet wants it, and therefore that's God's will. And, you know, it's a dangerous discussion for guys like us to come out and openly question whether that's necessary or whether we could do it a different way. Um. <laughs> maybe we need to entitle this episode how we would spend Enzyme Peak Advisors $150 <laughs> billion. Um, the the debts of the presidency is interesting because you know Joseph and Sidney had racked up a lot of debts because they were doing a lot, a lot of work. So the, when it says for the priesthood here, that's just sort of an aside. It wasn't a current issue. But for the debts of the presidency of my church, that was, that was a real problem for... Um, Joseph and Sydney, we're coming out of this uh, Kirtland anti-bank episode. We're, we're coming out of a period where there, Joseph had to run for it, and uh, things got things got a little weird. There was a lot of speculation. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on in Kirtland, and being a, a Joseph or a Sydney wasn't necessarily. You know, being a Brigham was something that paid off, but being Joseph and Sydney wasn't something that paid off. <laughs> Those sure. guys, those guys didn't work it correctly to their advantage if that's what they were really after. But that is not an issue in today's world. There are no debts of the presidency. There, at least, right. there don't need to be. I mean, they're right. definitely using the finance model with banks and sure, whatever. But, sure. But yeah, they. I mean, they. I'm sure that like if they build a new church, house, or temple, it's like paid for in cash. Yeah. yeah if we, well, I don't know. Again, the the technical logistics of it probably involve a bank and and some sort of lending mechanism. Yeah, and they use a, a construction company. But but what who, I'm saying is, if you sign the best contract in the world. Because, yeah. If if you <laughs> if you were to liquidate everything, there is no net need for. Right. For any sort of uh to they don't they don't have any debts to speak of in a in an um a total sense right. when we're looking at the total picture here. So so you can take that off the table. Um but let's t- talking about the foundation of Zion, what is Zion? And that's a lot of people look at that temporally, but there is definitely evidence that uh Zion is a people, not a place. Right. I mean, Zion's been called the pure in heart. Uh, I think that it could be both a people and a place, a gathering place. Um, well, yeah, it's in section 97, and I just got that by doing the... Especially when you consider it in tandem with the literal gathering of Israel, which is something that seems like is kind of takes a back seat, the literal part of it nowadays. Right. This is section 97, verse 21. Therefore, verily thus saith the Lord, let Zion rejoice, for this is Zion, the pure in heart. And it has that in all caps. That's one of the few places where you see something in all caps in the scriptures. This is Zion. What's the reference for that? The pure in heart. DNC 97, verse 21. I'll quote that in the, um, on the podcast reference page, but, uh, you can argue that Zion is a place, which is fine, but, you know, and, and we got Zion's Bank and Zion's Laundromat and Zion's National Park and all that stuff. But I think it's pretty clear that when it says laying the foundation of Zion, and if you look at 
early usages of of tithing in Joseph's day that it was used for the people, not mm-hmm. not necessarily f- just for buildings. And that's one thing that we've flipped on in the modern era. In that tithing is, we're, we're repeatedly told that tithing is not for the people. That's the fast offering, right? And the humanitarian aid, the the hundred the hundred million dollars versus the hundred billion dollars is for the taking care of the people. And I think there's a really good argument to be made, like what good are the buildings when the people are suffering, you know? Right. And then there's the general conference talks or whatever. People are going to say, well, they need to suffer through it and we can't solve all the problems with money or whatever. That's, that's true in a, in, to a certain extent. But... Yeah, and it, like one, you could, you could have a hypothetical, right? That... <clears throat> Remember, the, the, this news broke in 2019 about the Ensign Peak Fund, right? That was in the before times. In 2020, we had a, and, and we were told it was a rainy day fund. I mean, we had the-, the Second com- coming type of stuff? Yeah, you had the <clears throat> quote from, I think his Because name the was, banks will be operating during the second coming. Richard Clark or Roger Clark said something like it's, preparatory for the second coming, all this money. Uh-huh. It was kind of a head scratcher. Well, and and rainy day fund. <clears throat> well, just a few months later, there was a pretty long string of rainy days, right? Lots of LDS people lost their jobs or were underemployed when the whole world turned inside out with the pandemic. That seems like it'd be a pretty good time to take care of your own with all of that money. Well, we didn't want to catch COVID, so we weren't actually meeting. Right. We kind of shut down right. during but, that episode. But people, people could have still been taken care of. No, COVID, it. I mean. We <laughs> I'm could. speaking hypothetically here, and <laughs> hypothetically. I know. Here's the thing, though. People will often say, well, then people will just take advantage of it. And they'll. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay. So? Like, you know, that's on those people, right? Like. And then there could be a vetting system or some kind of application process for, and there is, for financial assistance well, from the well, church. What if it were handled locally, though? I mean, what well, if... Well, it used to be like that. Yeah, what if... That's what we're getting at, is right. it used to be handled locally. So, so what if it were handled locally? Wouldn't that be interesting if you had more say in where the funds went? Well, now you, you even, on the tithing slip, it says right at the bottom. Once you give this money, it's ours, and we can do whatever we want with it, in so many words. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting um, disclaimer, because it allows them to uh, support companies like Pfizer and Raytheon well, and, and they, whoever and they, else. They wouldn't have been able to rack up that kind of a, a nest egg without centralizing all the money. Right. Allows them to give charitable donations to the UN and the, the WEF. And the, NW, the NAACP. <laughs> Yeah, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and all these other places that, in in my opinion, this is Bobby Flood's opinion, several organizations that are an, antithetical to the mission of the gospel. Do we really think the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is furthering the work of God? <clears throat> I don't think so. I don't think organizations like the UN and Gavi and... Uh, the Dan, the NAACP and uh, you know whatever else <clears throat> are out there uh, increasing 
you know, the mission of the gospel in, in, in the world today. I think there are organizations that look after themselves, that are selfish, that are run by corrupt, <coughs> evil people who are doing corrupt, evil things, if I'm going to be blunt about it. Yeah. And, well, yet, and yet now we have tithing monies, or at least monies that originated in tithing donations going to these places. And I think it's reasonable and fair to say, Hold on a second. Well, why, a lot, why is this happening? A lot of people out there are going to say that the church does these things for political expediency. They are... Making friends with Babylon. That gets cited a lot from yeah, the doctrine. The, unri- the unrighteous mammon. So what they're doing is they have, to, they have to do these things politically so that they can... Build temples put, and send missionaries. Yeah, that's where I was going. Building temples in foreign lands that didn't, didn't want us or... or cities or whatever in and then they got to be able to open it up so they can send the missionaries but let's uh, that is that's another assumption the assumption that all operates under the assumption that temples and missionaries are the end game that's the lord's end game for well how do you get people to go through the covenant path tm without uh doing that right that's but th- th- that's the assumption. The covenant path, of course, is to get baptized, get your endowment, and go all the way through to the temple ceiling. Right, and then be the Sunday school second counselor or whatever, right? And just continue. Well, going you help back, other people to go through. Going back you help over the and kids over. To right. go, but see, go that's the process. And, and I'm not saying it's an incorrect assumption or a correct assumption, but it is an assumption that the end game. And I think the way the, te- the church leaders are talking nowadays, they emphasize this, right? The temple is always front and center in just about everything that they are teaching nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so we're operating under this idea that building a temple is, the, is building the kingdom. There's a quote from, I can't remember his name. I can look it up for the website. He essentially says that every time a new temple opens, the power of the atonement is increased in the world. And I, I, that kind of puzzled me because I thought the atonement can stand on its own. It's the infinite atonement, right? At the time of the atonement, there was no LDS temple. So I, and I'm not trying to be cheeky or, or anything. Like I want to know, I would like, that person to elaborate on that. How does that actually happen? How does the existence of a new temple increase the power of the atonement? Because I think the atonement stands on its own pretty well. But that's sort of the operating, um, the umbrella that all of this is happening under, that temples equal salvation, they equal the power of the atonement. And so we have to build lots of them to increase the power of the atonement. Because Jesus needs them to increase that power. I guess. But I think that's a fair doctrinal kind of inquiry. Like, I would like to know how and why that that occurs, because that's not what the scriptures necessarily teach, that the, the, the atonement isn't conditional on the existence of anything. It, it just is. It stands on its mm-hmm. own. It's what's conditioned on is our willingness to uh, indulge in the atonement and to repent repeatedly. Right? It always comes back to repentance, that change, use, use mighty the word change in, of indulge. heart. Maybe we could 
sell this indulgence <laughs> somehow. We could make some money on that. <laughs> well, that's a whole other discussion about the, the cover charge to go to the temple, <laughs> okay. which is back to tithing, right? Yeah, a cover charge. Uh, that's an interesting concept. <clears throat> what, explain what a cover charge is. Well, if you go to a, a club or a restaurant or something, they might Where charge. they serve alcohol or... Oftentimes, usually that's... But you pay 10 or 15 or 50 <sighs> bucks or whatever to just, just to, to get in, just to get in, right? It's a cover charge. Um, you I don't mean, get it, anything it, else out of it other, other than just entrance. Right. In a sense, uh, a ticket to a basketball game might be considered a cover charge. Yeah, but you're sort of paying, but you're paying to for see, the entertainment. Yeah. And oftentimes something new, something exciting. Oftentimes a cover charge at a club or whatever would have a, a live band playing. There's some perks and you don't have to go in and spend right. any money on alcohol. But although, it seems a little bit like a country club membership <clears throat> type of a thing. Right. And that might be the more accurate analogy because a country club membership you pay annually or yeah. monthly. And do you have a, at the end of the year, do you have like a <laughs> sort of a meeting with the country club owner where they ask if you've I don't paid think, a full I don't membership? Know. I think they just, I think they know. Whether <laughs> they know not. whether you've paid for the full membership? But, and then once you're in, you can take advantage of the, the services of the country club as much as you like or not. But, but, uh, Again, money, money and religion is a prickly topic. Well, no, this is the this is the electric fence. I think we're actually standing on peeing on the electric fence right here. <laughs> we're reacting May. to current events. Current, what we we're talking do. about current events. That's what we're doing. Let's reframe the narrative here. We're we're talking <laughs> about current events. Yeah, no, it's it's a. But I see, think it's a, I think it's fair to ask these questions without destroying each other over just asking well, no, the that, questions. Uh, my, you know? my, my, my assertion all along when we, when we go down this road is that these are the kinds of conversations I would love to be having in elders quorum well, but that or Sunday problem school. Because the elders quorum, there's a good chance that somebody like Bobby the Flood could be persuasive enough with uh, uh, well, that's, maybe, but, maybe a majority of the, of the elders. I mean, if you have... <laughs> aren't say, we taught to, let, to teach by say, persuasion? Well, let's say you're in elders quorum <clears throat> and uh, there are seven people in there and four, three of them side with you. That's four out of seven. Well, I mean, there's how more many people than, are in elders quorum these uh, days? Anyway? There's probably <laughs> 30, 30 or so. But, but, but you can, we can have these conversations without trying to sway people to one side or another. They, it's just a matter of the discussion, the exercise, the mental and spiritual exercise of it I think is healthy. Well, so what, what you're saying is you'd, you'd like to talk about it just to explore the possibility that maybe we could do something different. Do something different or at least have a... a, a, a let, let's imagine, okay? We, <clears throat> before we start recording, uh, Jordan floated the idea of some uh, future episodes where we would kind of create f fictional narratives and... and you're you're spoiling it. I wanted to spring it on him, but well, we'll still do that. But let's imagine. Okay. Let's let's kind of have a address here. So let's imagine. Uh, uh, We're going to role play. This is a fictional <clears throat> kind of. But let's imagine that at least in the United States of America. <clears throat> Sorry, I need to clear my throat for this one. Let's imagine the United States of America in LDS meeting houses all over the country, from Maine to uh, California and from uh, from sea to shining sea Seattle to Miami 
where they cheer on From John Detroit Curtis. Down to Houston and New York to LA. There's pride in every Mormon's heart. That's such a great song. Okay. Proud to be an American. And yes, it's propaganda, but it's a great song. It is a good song. <laughs> Way to go, Lee, whatever his name is. Lee, 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 Lee. What is his name? Lee. Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood. Okay, let's imagine Thank that you, Google. From, from sea to shining sea to, sea to shining sea in LDS meeting houses on for several Sundays in a row, mm-hmm. members were talking about specifically the finances of the church. And they were coming to sort of a consensus that, hey, church office building, we deserve transparency. We need to know more. And what we do know, we don't particularly approve of. We want to see this money used more for uh, members of the church who are in need, more charity that's localized. We We want more control over the 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 use of these funds we you know we we want to help locally like let's let it's, this focus is locally we don't want to donate to the WEF or to the UN they have plenty of money they don't need your 5 million dollar donation they don't need any of that let's turn that into here so we can help um the local boys and girls club or the local uh uh youth uh quorums or the so-and-sos down the road that uh, just lost their husband or whatever, right? All of these different scenarios. And and this starts to come to a head to where bishops and stake presidents are hearing about this, and it's getting back to the church leadership that this conversation is happening, and there's this sort of call for change, okay? So we're imagining this scenario is happening. Then what? Like what? I, like then what? 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 How would the church react? Would they even react? And then what would those changes look like? Like uh, it's not a bad idea. Like if you were in charge of all of this money or policy, what would what would a proper? Because um, the church is big enough that it's going to have some assets, right? It's going to have some money. What would a proper expenditure of all of this look like? I also think that. It's relevant to say, what does a proper tithe look like? And we've sort of talked about that. But So we're going to role play this? Are you going to be the, the president of our elders quorum? No, you don't necessarily need to role play. It's just do, a, do you want me a, to call you president? Let's do a, a little backstory. It's just, a, it's just a scenario. <laughs> Let's do a backstory on our characters. You're role you're playing the president. right now. You're, you're the presiding bishopric of the church. No, you're the. I'm just a guy in the elders quorum. You're going to be my elders quorum president, and you're the type of guy that likes to be called president. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm just kidding. Okay, let me throw something at you, Bobby Flood. Uh. $150 billion, is that what we're looking at? <clears throat> I don't think the amount matters. No, 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 come on. But Track sure. with me here. The amount, okay. the amount does matter. Let's the call de- it an even $100 billion. No, let's call it $150 billion. Okay. The devil is in the details. Okay. Okay. How many wards have we got? In the whole world or just the U.S.? In the LDS church. I don't know. 3,058. According to Google, we've got 24,277 wards. Okay. 7,000 branches. For the purposes of this, I'm just going to... The branches are SOL. Sorry, out of luck. 
$150 billion divided by 24,000 wards is $6,250,000 per ward. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine what your local people could um, um, just think of and imagine and do with $6 million to use as they saw fit? Yeah, you'd have to take out. We're about, talking about because Enzyme Peak is is the the stock holdings, right? Right. We're not talking about the real estate. We're talking about yeah. You're just talking about the with the real estate. The estimated total value of the church with with all assets is something like three hundred billion, from what I've read. When you count uh, real estate and and uh, Corporate. I think it's more towards half a half a trillion, isn't it? Like, I mean, that's somewhere knows. between three and five hundred billion. <laughs> I'm going to use a keyword from last week, by the way, which seemed to get a lot of attention. But nobody knows how much they have squirreled away. Squirrel. We're not doing a squirrel episode. <laughs> and I'm not going to eat any squirrels. <laughs> that was a big hit, apparently. Yeah, we got a lot of squirrel fans in the audience. Yeah. Or at least a couple of vocal ones. <laughs> I remember when Mike Huckabee was running for president, and they tried. You're to saying make, this because he's from where Alabama, well, they tried Arkansas. To make, they were where making fun from? of him because he had talked about how much he likes squirrel. And I've actually heard that when done right, squirrel can be pretty tasty. But I have no interest in eating a a wood rat. This is Arkansas. <laughs> I'm not eating a forest rat. Bill Clinton was also from Arkansas. There's that great scene in uh, Oh Brother, Where Out, Where. Art thou where uh, George Clooney's character comes back to the camp and one of the guys is eating a, squ- a squirrel and he says, you know, he's going to offer you some. And he says, I'm, I'm, you know, Del Mar, I think half a squirrel would only stimulate my appetite more than it would satisfy it. <laughs> Something along those lines. The dialogue in that film is great. Oh, it's a great show. You know, that's uh, <clears throat> That's a rendering of the Odyssey. Right. Yeah. Right. Very, very you got, good. You got Cyclops. You got the Sirens. Yeah. It's uh, You got Wizards. It's great. It's a great movie. He gets home to, back home to Penelope. So, um, I mean, you, you take out, right? It's estimated the church spends about $6 billion a year on operating expenses, and it takes in around $7 billion in tithing. And the, the, the consensus or the idea is that that excess tithing, which is a phrase the church has used, which is sort of oxymoronic, um, the excess is then funneled into these investment funds, and it's grown and grown and grown because they've invested well <laughs> over the last 20-some-odd years. Yeah. But... Okay, let's go back to your scenario. So let's let's imagine that the money is allocated to wards, and you probably wouldn't need to do it like just a straight up divide like you've done. But the point is, there's a lot of money that's you're saying a, you want more for your ward. Well, you might have a you might have a really small ward in a person a, in the ward in a rural area that doesn't need six million, and you might need. You get my drift. What, and that, what are we going to do but, with you? you know, you've been in these budget meetings. What do you get? Like three hundred dollars for the. Two hundred dollars for the elders' quorum enough to enough to buy the war budgets are based on attendance. Yeah, but and they're, they're small. small. They're they are small, and it is sufficient for the you know the normal like activities well, to do what they prescribed that we do. Right. That's the p- right. point is that we're 
we're talking about reimagining the whole purpose of the Mormon, like, Mormonism right now. <laughs> we're talking about because if we're we're talking about the money, like we, what would we do as a people? Would we hold a road show? <laughs> <laughs> you could put on a pretty good road show for for a million dollars. Okay, some some of the wards just blow the blow the money all right up front. But what if what if so the funds exist right? The funds exist. So what if the what if the church said, brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in financial need and uh, are looking into turning towards the government welfare programs, we advise you to, or we invite you to come to us instead. We have a robust welfare system in place, and we would like you to use us instead of the government. We'd like to be independent of the government? Yeah, we would like to operate independent. We don't want our people dependent on the government. We have needs to take care of our own. Did Isn't, isn't that actually uh, the opposite of what is done right now? Don't they encourage you to go take, care, take advantage of government programs? I believe they do, yes, and I'm not... I don't know for sure. I, I, I don't know for sure either, but I've seen... I've seen reports of that. But instead say, come to us and we will help you out. And also as part of that, you can come and volunteer or come and work at uh, the cannery. Or remember when, when locals used to work at the canneries? Does that still happen? Like you'd go and volunteer at a cannery or a... I grew up picking apples in church yeah. orchards. Those, I, those church orchards, by the way, are all subdivisions now. Yeah, I, I uh, remember... Malls. Yeah, I remember um, working at the church farm and now recently driving past where that was. It's now a subdivision, for right. sure. I mean, I, I grew up li- literally, I'm using that word literally. Literally. Surrounded by church orchards, like on all sides. And uh, we, we, did a, we used to sneak into them and play and run around. And, and then in the fall, we'd go pick the apples and you'd have these newspaper bags on your shoulders, the pouches in the front and back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you fill them with apples. You take it to the wooden bin. You dump them in there. You go back. You fill another bag, mm. and and the whole steak was involved. And it was a great uh, kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. And we all knew that this this these apples were going to go turned into applesauce, and some would remain fresh, and they were going to help other Mormons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they could say, "Hey, come to us. Don't don't get on food stamps." With the, with the government, come to us, we will assist you, we will look at your situation, we will assist you, and we will help you get back on your feet. There's been programs like this. We used to do that. Why don't, where, where are the church farms now? Wouldn't it be great to, if people... They sold them. Well, yeah, I know there's subdivisions, but aren't they buying up like most of Florida to do this? They own a huge cattle ranch in Florida, but I don't know, so you're it's poor... a for-profit venture, I believe, and so I, I imagine the beef and stuff from that just goes into the market. I'm just saying, if you're not making it and you want to go take your family and work on the church farm in Florida, maybe that should be an option. Maybe it should be. Maybe with the price of beef nowadays, that beef could be sold to the members of the church at a discounted rate. That would be a benefit of being a Mormon. Yeah, but then you would have people joining the church just to <clears throat> just get, to the, get finan- the beef discount. There was a guy, I, on my mission in the 90s, we had a guy come to us who was really interested in becoming a member of the church. And it was pretty clear that he wanted to participate in the, he had heard about the welfare system, the, the benefits, and, and he was a poor guy. And, and uh, we were sort of told, don't teach him, he's not sincere. 
Now, he sincerely wanted the benefits, it sounds like. Sure. And and at the time I was like, yeah, he's not sincere. He just wants he wants food and welfare and whatever. But I a uh, kind of a flip side of that is well, so. Yeah, right. Like what if he joins and actually has a a change of heart and or he gets fed. <laughs> yeah. Fed spiritually and physically, but but like yeah, maybe there would be some fraud involved. <laughs> maybe there'd be some problems. But what I'm saying is the, the means exist. We could take care of our own and, and encourage, like, remember how self-sufficiency self, uh, and independence and preparation has been a long-standing principle. It was a long-standing principle, principle. But it's no longer really emphasized or talked about. Well, when you see when you're reading through these Ensign Peak Advisor stories, that's the that's the spin the church is putting on it is that, that we're a self we're into self sufficiency and self reliance, and so we want this rainy day fund. But it's yeah, but it's that rainy an organizational day, thing. It's an institutional, and thing. that rainy day fund is not independent. It's a hundred percent dependent on the markets. That that a lot of that a lot of that money is paper wealth. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it could disappear tomorrow. I'm just imagining the condi- but they the could cash out. I mean, if they if they sold all their stocks, they'd crash the market right now. They're well, that they'd also, big. They'd also have a bunch of uh, Federal Reserve notes on their hand, right? What I'm I'm just trying to think through the scenarios that are um, apocalyptic, cataclysmic, you know, second coming type of scenarios that involve the banks remaining solvent, right? Or, or the stock or, market not crashing, or yeah, or electronic or paper money being useful at all no so i'm, I'm trying to what, what's been i'm like just literally thinking okay right. how does there isn't one how does that think. work i don't think there i don't think i think calling this like a second coming apocalypse rainy day fund is kind of silly we have i mean for comparison's sake we have like the book of mormon episode where jesus is crucified and there's massive cataclysm like cities burned, yeah. Earth swallowing up other cities, the ocean swallowing up cities, rocks, hills, mountains, whatever. Right. I, isn't that kind of the way we generally understand the second coming might be similar? Yeah. Earth, earthquakes yeah, right. in diverse places. But see, that's vapors what, of smoke. Kind of the point I was making earlier about the the, the <clears throat> pandemic. That's as close to cataclysm as we've gotten in this country, you know, non-apocalypse cataclysm in our lifetimes. Well, that could be like a false start. Like, <clears throat> uh... But it's, it, it was a perfect scenario for organizations to step up and take care of their own. Instead, what happened, right? Bailout checks, right? Everybody under a certain income got, got checks sent to them. Well, and... That was, and it seems, based on the admissions from the 60 Minutes uh, expose, that our church is essentially part of that organization. You know, right. if, if the IRS is afraid to audit them, if this is the full extent... Right. And that... that, that they're part of that apparatus, that's I guess a, is the best word. That's the most telling thing in the in the whole episode because it, it demands some follow up or some some. Uh, well, it won't get any. It won't, I mean, but it no. demands it. We're following up right now. But remember, asking the but, difficult questions you do not want to ask. But the checks everybody got from COVID came from the government and were based on on 
bad economics. That money was created out of nowhere, and, and, and we're suffering the consequences of it now, of billions of new dollars created ex nihilo, out of nothing, <laughs> thrown into the economy, and now we're suffering record inflation. You know, we talked about that last week with the, the price of a hamburger. Yeah, yeah. Double, double your money, uh, uh, cut your savings in half, pretty much. Right. So... I guess what I'm saying is if in, in this scenario that we're sort of role-playing, 2020 was a great opportunity for the church to say, hey, members, reject the, the government stimulus. We are going to take care of our own. And they well, could not- have put people to work in a sense of like, there's a lot of things that, that they could, that, that people could have done. They could have there's there's plenty of resources that the church has. Right now we, you know, wards are responsible for cleaning the buildings. It sort of gets done, but they could have had people take care of the buildings locally as part of the of receiving those those funds. They could have had people work in church farms that we've talked about. They could have but, had them do volunteer service again, in the community, but none of that happened well, for lots of reasons. But also, we were all told to hide in our homes and stay away from each other. It was, and, the perfect, it was the perfect ruse for the baby boomer generation because all you old people are going to die a horrible death if you don't lock down and isolate from each other. I mean. And and who are the people that run the church? They're old, you know. And we had one. Who, who are the people that run your ward? They're older. We had a guy here in the neighborhood that nobody saw for like two years, and it it really took a toll on him. Like it, it he's he's since moved, but hmm. it it kind of ruined his relationship or his existence in the in community, <laughs> and maybe in general. Yeah. I know there's some other factors there, but uh, I used to I used to go uh, remove snow from his driveway, and he would come out, and he would be great. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He's, uh, he was simultaneously really glad that I was helping him out, and also he would gripe about the lack of visits from his ministering brothers. Oh, okay. <laughs> He would say something like, I'm sure glad you're here. Thanks for the help. I sure wish my ministers would come so over he, and do it. He was old school. He's like, hey, the church, when I grew right. up, the church had this uh, attitude that we were going to do this sort of thing. Right, Take care right. of each other. Right. And it was easy for me to do because it was right down the road and I had a, I have a snowblower. So it was just 10 extra minutes it of seemed my like, time. I, I, if I remember right at the start of the pandemic, there was a little bit of chatter amongst the neighborhood and the wards where people were looking out like, hey, we just want to make sure you guys are okay, that you've got food or whatever. I see. Did that happen to you? Um, Do you remember that at all? Maybe a little bit. It's hard to remember. But there was like a sliver of, of inquiry. And then it was a- after that, you was know, a, with, that was in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and there was also just kind of radio silence from... After that, it was radio silence. Yeah, it was a strange time. And I think... You could sort of justify some of it. People were scared. People weren't really sure what was going on. And nobody wanted to be the guy that got someone else sick, right? There was this underlying fear. Like, I remember having a conversation with an event organizer. And he was saying, you know, do you think we should go forward with this event? It was an outdoor event. And I said, it would probably be 100% fine. But I understand you're an event. You're a corporate entity. And there's this this possibility that somehow somebody could tie something back to you and that you would be ruined. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think everybody was like operating under the uh, the the church's phrase they used a lot was an abundance of caution. Right. Right. Which became cowardice after a little bit. Uh but look I, I mean looking back hindsight here <clears throat> on 2020 is 2020. Yeah, but there was a lot of 2020 vision in, at the time too. I, Let's I not forget I mean, that. We're, we're, but you're right. You can go back and look at what we were talking about and we were pretty sure that it was a a ruse. But what's so alarming about the whole episode, and now it's, unless you're just sucked into Deseret News, Salt Lake Tribune, KSL, the local propagandists, um, what's alarming about the whole thing is it obviously was an overreaction. It obviously enriched the wrong people. It was obviously intentional in a lot of ways. Uh, there have been significant admissions. You've got kind of Fauci on the run. You know, there are people who are who are are out there uh, feigning ignorance and hoping and, and and proclaiming that we should all just forget and Lots forgive. Lots of re- rewriting history that, that we should forgive. Yeah, there's there's this uh, this oh let's just gloss over this and forgive type of mentality that's being talked about right now. Uh, but what's so alarming about the whole episode is how easy it was for the powers that be to foist that all upon us like they they put this world into a tailspin and it's not out of it you know right it's not like there are tons of people that are damaged for life yeah well what's the what what happens at the end of a just psychologically damaged what happens at the end of a tailspin you crash. There's a fiery explosion and a crash right we're thinking like uh tom cruise um (laughs) Top Gun, he goes into a flat spin and yeah. loses goose. <laughs> right, and then he does it again in in the in the the sequel, but he he ejects out of it. And he crashes behind enemy lines. I liked the second one. The second one was a lot of fun. It was fun, but it, for a while there, I was I was like, oh no, this is a repeat. This is a total repeat. But then they they fixed that towards the end. Yeah, I thought they did a great job. It was it was a, a refreshing, just fun, not super deep, just a great flying Not action deep movie at all <laughs> they didn't even tell you who the enemy was it was just some obscure easternish ish white people <laughs> could have been russia could have been something that rhymes with akvia could have been kazahika nakusakistan could, could have been any of the stands uh except maybe pakistan or afghanistan they were too white for that but mm. it, i liked it the I thought it was a good incredible show. Incredible uh, airplane footage. Like, awesome. I'm not even, like, super into fighter jets and stuff, but that was, it was cool. The best part is when they're <clears throat> trying to get away and you get the nostalgic... Uh, I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it, but... Uh, yeah. It's anyway, pretty awesome. After but they've, you're after right. They've been, after they've ejected and then they, they got to get out right. of there. You're right. The world was, was thrown into a tailspin. The people who did it, did it deliberately in in our opinion my opinion i think it's pretty obvious now like you we have the the competing independent media against the corporate media and it's just so clear you know you, what what motive do all these people have to lie and lose credibility and you, think, you can tell when people are trying to to get the truth out there you know I think the uh, I think the reasoning behind it, the number one foundational answer to the question why is was the consolidation of money and power. 
because that's exactly what happened. The, 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 the rich got richer and the more, the powerful got more powerful. And now they know that they've got us. They can do it again, or at least try whether it's pandemic or some other emergency, well, that's why you I know, think, climate emergency. I, I don't whatever. think they're going to be able to do, do it without a war. They're going to have to make it more real because there's been a, a cry wolf episode already. Yeah. And people don't take climate catastrophe serious enough. Uh, that's why the, the virus move was it was brilliant. I mean, if you're if you look at this from a tactical standpoint, the pandemic was brilliant. Oh, for sure. What they did was brilliant. If you were looking to destroy Western civilization, what they did was was brilliant. And they caught us all flat footed and yep. you know, a majority of the population just fell right in line with absolute tyranny. Yeah, and they, they, we can look back and see that they set that up over many, many years, multiple decades. And so what else have they set up over the last few decades? They set up a war with Russia, potentially with China, probably going to be both if it really escalates. I don't, I don't see how well, we avoid if that. If it's a world war, you would have this axis of China, Russia, probably Iran, some others. Well, India. India's got to be on their side. I mean, how are they right. going to not be? But- you got the war thing. You've got the climate thing that they've been working on. We got the space alien thing that they've <laughs> been working on, right? What else have they been working on? Well, and they're destroying language uh, with with minor league uh, outrages like the gender wars and mm-hmm. uh, some of the other cultural things. They've been working on the gender thing, and and the gender yeah. thing is is a part of it. It's it's meant to make us stupid, and and they're undermining our ability to use common sense by this, you know, the wokeification of everything right now, our military is being led by people who buy into this nonsense. And I don't think those are people who can win a war. I don't want to fight a war. I mean, Trump, you see, Trump was asked about the Ukraine, Russia war. And he said, I want people to stop dying. We're dying. People on both sides are dying. (laughs) We need to stop that. And he's being criticized for that. It's like, Oh yeah. So now just saying, Hey, maybe, maybe, war is uh, maybe peace is better than war those people that kind of mentality is criticized and thought of as extremist nowadays it tells you a lot about where we're at well i don't think i i think they think that people hate trump that bad i mean he made cnn look really bad but but they didn't do that maybe that maybe the girl that was running the thing didn't understand but her producers understood what they were doing they don't they don't do that on accident no that that, that whole, was all calculated. The whole town hall was interesting. It was they knew it was going to elevate Trump. Yeah, and it's funny to see certain people who are so mad at CNN, like AOC, and but they're not. It's feigned outrage. I'm sure it is, but it's just funny. This isn't unacceptable to platform such misinformation. It's like, okay, well, what was the misinformation? What was the misinformation? And also, is does free speech exist anymore? Because free speech covers misinformation you can go out there and be on cnn and be wrong uh, if you're factually wrong if you're funny. on cnn you're probably wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right well we should probably wrap up but i think it's been a i good don't discussion. feel like we solved the tithing issue well uh, we didn't we didn't it's not a it's not going to be solved in one episode of the mind virus podcast maybe two and a half but i think it's fair but, i think it's fair and i've heard i've heard this from several places i think it's fair that to i think it's fair to for the church 
to be more transparent about its finances. And I think it's fair to ask the church to spend those tithing dollars inside the church as much as possible. I don't think there's any need for donations to these uh, big NGOs, you know, World Food Program and, uh, you know, those those vending machines where you buy a goat and stuff at Christmas time. Those are just donations. You're making, when you think you're buying a goat, you're just making a donation to the World Food Program, which may or may not ever buy a goat. Right. I, I do think there is a good case for strengthening the local membership in a local way so that they're resilient, so that their their family values are intact, you know. Well, you create... Uh, creating creating economic resilience, et cetera, et cetera. We, we've talked about this over the course of the, the history of this podcast. Like when, when we were younger, there was at least the perception was that, that wards and stakes had a sense of camaraderie and unity. Um, I knew people in my stake. I knew their names. And I'm a kid, right? And I, because I would see them at school, but I knew their families and uh, somewhat, and you would see them at activities. There were stake mm-hmm. dances mm-hmm. Or, and stake service days and stake lagoon day. Lagoon's do we a, do stake dances anymore for these kids? Yeah, my kids went to one recently, but it was like a, Three stake dance or something. We used to do ward dances even. I think that the localization of the funding and the localization of how that money is allocated and spent creates that camaraderie, that sense of family and culture. I don't like nowadays it's pretty it's kind of secretive, like if someone in the in the ward or neighborhood is getting assistance from the church, and maybe that's fine. But at the same time, if people know, hey, you know what, the, the Johnsons or the Robinsons and whatever, these are just made up names, right? The so-and-sos need some help. And we sometimes do that, and it comes in the form of like casseroles and weed pulling. But maybe it's like, hey, they need financial help. And the church is going to cover um, some from the tithing and fast offerings. But if you guys could also help, you can you know, write a check to the bishop or just take it over to them, that would be great too, because they, whatever the issue is, right? Like, But we don't really do that inside the church. Yet you see it a lot outside through outside means, like GoFundMe, like, like hey, the, the random family here, the, the, their husband was injured in a car accident and needs funding. Here's a GoFundMe, and they raise a lot of money. Right, and so what's happened <laughs> to our cultural ward circle? It it's just... outsourced. Well, the, the sort but, of things that, that, cr- that has hollowed it out. That's it's right. hollowed and, it out. It, so your ward is like hollow now. It, it can be like there's been times, you know, where there and it's usually around bad things, unfortunately. But people do come together and they help. And I'm sure there's lots that we never even know about that so kind of happen behind the scenes. It just it just seems like in this social media area era, we have, like I said, hollowed out the ward kind of church-wide, when we should have been building resilience, we should have been building uh, local togetherness and local self-sufficiency. And part of the reason we weren't able to do that is because nobody has control over the money. I mean, the, the money conversations are usually like, well, do we have to do the flags fundraiser again? How do we get the money for the scouts to go on the trip to have a supai mm-hmm. or to uh, Timberline or wherever they're mm-hmm. going to go? 
spend their time. And we don't even do the scout thing anymore, right? right. So what there, there's there's not there's not this uh, community. <laughs> we're not building our community. We're we're just repeating conference talks. Yeah, and we kind of outsourced a lot of that stuff to GoFundMe and uh, government. But what are we? I mean. What do you mean? Well, what do we do do on Sunday? We we get together and we have a lesson and there's some good social interactions that that take place. At times, yeah. I mean, mean, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's like I I know some of the people in in the ward, but I don't really know anybody in the stake. The stake is too big now, it seems like. Like, and, And that's partly my personality, but. Do we do athletics anymore? Not really. There's a little bit COVID of that. Cha- COVID changed everything. Well, that's part of that tailspin. Is the the yeah. culture suffered a a fatal wound? That's what I'm saying. It's like we're hollowed out, and we were not. We were ill prepared for it when we were supposed to be the best prepared for it. Right. I think that's a fair statement. And maybe it has to do with where the money went. Uh, it's probably part of it. I think. I guess you can't we use your local resources locally. Well, and it doesn't help at all when the leadership is saying, "Don't go help each other locally." I mean, to the point of well, even, that was you're saying the COVID. They were shutting right, everything down, right? But that if, if we ever needed a time for us to come together as a community, a faith based community, that that was it. Especially after the first couple of weeks or a month when we realized that. This isn't spreading like wildfire, the virus. I mean, this isn't killing everybody who gets it. It's actually not killing very many people at all. Uh, Once that initial like shock wore off and we realized what we were dealing with, we should have got back to business as usual and come together, but we didn't. I mean, it was kind of left to stakes and wards too. I mean... It's a little worrisome because, you know, there when, is, when they would meet again, there is calamity in the air like that. There's, you know, this isn't the end of it. Stuff's going to be happening. And I think we can gauge the future based on the past here and say, you know, what you're likely to see is follow the governmental leaders. Yeah. Which, again, demonstrates I, I, <laughs> this lack, lack of separation between the church and the state. Right. Yeah, it was that was disturbing to to be told to follow the government. Um you know, coupled with statements like all individual rights can be reasonably restricted and things like that, which we've yeah. covered here. It's a dire picture when you zoom out and you look at the whole the whole big picture. Um both in the United States uh, as a whole, but also if mm-hmm. you if you zoom in and look a little bit more closely at our, well, the, the state of the church and the state and not just the LDS church, but the church, the American church, Christian, these Christian churches folded. Mm-hmm. There's a few holdouts mm-hmm. that stood strong against this. Well, and in, in everybody's defense, the, the media industrial medical governmental complex was able to create a lot of fear. Oh yeah. It, it, it was fear, the most, fear is the mind killer. It was the most, fearful period in maybe American history. Recent American history. I mean, it was... Remember from from early March to June, 
It was 24-7, death and destruction, COVID, 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 death and destruction. You're going to die. Everybody's dying. In June, they said, George Floyd, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. You're all racists. And then a month later, death, 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 death. I mean, Biden issued a White House statement. You know, this is going to be a winter of death and destruction. Like, it was mind-boggling. The fear mongering. And you're yeah. right. Fear is the mind killer. It's the little death, right? That's Dune. Yeah. Well, I have, I have a final thought here. Uh, you want to go first on your final thoughts? Or, I mean, I would love to. Well, my pre final thought <laughs> is uh, it would be fun to sit down with the local elders quorum, you know, my buddies in the neighborhood and have a discussion about what we're really going to do because that. That's the, you know, the, the underlying reality in everybody's minds is there's really not much we can do here. We just have to follow what the hierarchy is telling us to do. But if we had more local autonomy, we might come up with some good ideas that actually have benefit for ourselves and our families in a really meaningful way. I mean, more than just, oh, let's take these kids on this trip or... Mm-hmm. Um, let's have a leadership retreat or let's, uh, let's go over to so-and-so's place and clear their yard out. You know, I mean, I think we're living in those times where that, that ethos that used to be what, what the Mormon church was when we were younger would apply right now. And that's, that's, I think maddening to a lot of us. But anyway, that's my pre-final thought. You got anything else or you want, you want me to go first on this final thought or what? Nope. It's all yours. Okay, I'm going to send us off with the words of Moroni. Moroni was a Nephite priest, and he hid the record up of his uh, predecessors so that Joseph Smith could find it. He thought he was finishing up the record here in Mormon chapter 8, so he's finalizing his dad's words, and he says this. Behold, I speak unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. Who's he talking to there? People that read the book or people that don't read the book? Well, the people who don't read the book aren't going to see the words. (laughs) Okay, so it's probably the people that read the book. Okay. I speak unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you, Bobby Flood, to me, and I know your doing. I hope he caught me on a good hair day. I I know you're doing, Jordan Bruno. (laughs) I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts, and there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envyings and strives and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities. And your churches, yea, even every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. For behold, you do love money and your substance and your fine apparel and the adorning of your churches more than you love the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted. O ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers who sell yourselves for that which will canker, why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Why do you not think that greater is the value of an endless happiness than that misery which never dies. Because of the praise of the world, it ends in a question mark. At least and that's not the end of it. But anyway, that was written to Jordan Bruno and Bobby Flood 
the readers of the book. Take that for what it's worth. Those are the words of the immortal words of Moroni in Mormon chapter 8. Amen. Amen. <laughs>